Hebrews, we're going to be in chapter 6. I'm a little scatterbrained, as I said. I just came running, racing over here on the bike. Um, so I'm going to pray, try to calm down a little bit. Um, but really excited. Some of you, if you're a Bible nerd, you're like, seriously, Hebrews 6? Like, this is a hotly contested chapter. It's a tough chapter. It's a divisive chapter for a lot of people. So when we come to the really hard part, <clears throat> I'm just going to glaze over it and move on. Sound good? <laughs> you'll see. You'll see, actually. <laughs> Anyone need a Bible? James, is that what you're, you're hooking up Bibles? We got free Bibles. You can keep it if you don't have it. Just don't take it home and sell it on eBay or something. <clears throat> All right. Let's pray. I, I need to calm down. You guys seem to be already in a better spot than me. Um, having some worship and such, so I'm going to pray for all of us, and we'll get going. Jesus, just um, want to just settle our hearts, as, as we certainly have through the, the, the music part of the worship, and, um, and just as kids come before you and sit, myself included, and, and simply sit at your feet, um, having already taught this passage, I know it's continued to... Um, press on me this week, and so when asked to, to fill in last minute to, to go over it again has, has probably evidence that I need to hear it again myself, um, and that you've got more work to do uh, here with this, with this chapter with your children, and so we just thank you for this time. Thank you that, um, that though the world throws waves and throws tsunamis um, our way and our boats get rocked, um, that we have a steadfast anchor that we are gripped tight, that we are held lovingly, that we are cared for deeply. Uh, Father, just would you, by your Holy Spirit, would you comfort your, your, your kids tonight, myself included? Would you settle our hearts? Would you both challenge us, um, but also encourage us through this chapter as we endeavor to hear from you tonight? So just pray your blessing over the service. Holy Spirit, ask for the ability to teach for all of us here, for the ability to learn, as John said, not for our glory, not to build ourselves up, but for your glory alone. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for what you've done, what you're doing, and for what you have yet to do. Can't wait to see you again. Amen. <clears throat> so as I said, Hebrews 6, even Pastor Tony in the back, he's like, what are you teaching? I was like, Hebrews 6. He's like, <laughs> like stopped, like, what? Um, Unfortunately, this is one of those chapters that in the Christian church we've decided we want to sit on, we want to dwell on, we want to divide over and fight about. I don't know how many YouTube debates are probably dedicated to the middle part of this chapter. I, I would venture to say this might be one of the top five, top ten most contested areas in the New Testament, quite possibly in the Christian church, for a couple words. Um, but it, it's it's unfortunate because this chapter actually builds itself into hope and encouragement. And what what's terrible a lot of times is that we focus on the controversial. We don't focus on what's um, beneficial. And and the progression of this chapter gets more and more encouraging and more and more exciting, if you ask me. And and so many people stop halfway and then just want to bicker about it. Um, and so my, my intent is to build us to the end of this chapter. Now I admit when the Bible was written, they didn't write big six. Okay. There. And then go down a couple more sentences, write a big seven. This was, this was one long letter as all the, um, books of the Bible are. I was in Israel when they still had on display the entire book of Isaiah, the actual one, not the fake one that they brought to Westlake, but the, the actual one. And it's amazing to just see just. I mean, the, the thing goes around an entire room. It was in this kind of museum. It looks like a Hershey kiss, and they hide it now because they're worried about violence and destruction. But it's just, it's this, this massive letter, right? Um, and so all the, all the books of the Bible were like that. And so though we're kicking off verse 6, I actually just want to kind of backtrack and just read the three verses before that because that's actually what sets up the beginning of chapter six. And if you just kind of kick off six, you're like, whoa, where's he coming from? He just comes out of left field, kind of swinging hard. Um, we don't know who wrote the book. We don't know who penned it, I should say, but we know that God authored it, right? And so this was risen into the Hebrews. Um, this was, this is actually what Zach and I are going through on Sunday nights with the, the largely college age group, um, the, the alternative young adult service, I guess, if you want to call it, though everyone is invited, certainly. 
So we've been endeavoring through Hebrews through the fall. We did Romans in the spring. It's been um, a super amazing study for myself. I know Zach as well. And so um, I want to pick up at actually chapter 5, verse 12, and just kind of see where it goes into chapter 6. And it says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again. So this is, a, this is more of a pastoral, it's more of a sermon, to be honest. If, if you sit back, if you go outside, and you, you kick open Hebrews, and you start to read it, it's not as much a, a letter penned as, as it is a sermon declared. Okay? And you know a good sermon has challenge for you, and it should have encouragement. We shouldn't sit on the challenge all day, or we shouldn't just encourage you all day. Okay, we should have both, and this chapter certainly gets that. This is the part of the sermon. He's, he's, you know, six chapters in, he's getting into the meat of it, and he's got some harsh things, and he admits it. He said, look, even though I'm going to speak to you like this, you need to know that there's a hope. But he says, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Okay, that means it's just like you're young. You're not like hot. Okay. <laughs> like, I'm a babe? Really? Did he say it? No. It's <clears throat> elementary. It says, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And so he's coming into this challenging section. And then we go right into chapter six. He says, therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. So he gets done rebuking them for being spiritually immature, to be honest. He says, you're, you're not progressing. And he's writing to many different types of Hebrews, but he's particularly in this section, he's talking about the Hebrews that have come out of Judaism and they're looking to slip back in. Look, when you come out of Judaism in that day, Judaism wasn't necessarily fun, but it certainly was far more comfortable than being a first century Christian. And there was this big desire to slip back into old ways. Why don't we go back to what's more comfortable? I went to Italy at the end of, uh, at the end of high school. Italy's great. There's the Colosseum, there's cappuccinos, and it's like Carb City pasta and bread. And it's amazing. It's delicious. And you go underground and it's very, very dark. It's what's known as the catacombs. And above all the, or below all the bicycles and the coffee shops and the amazing language and culture and museum, underneath is where the church met. And they dug out cavities underground and they still exist. You can go today. You can walk into a, in, to a cavity in the earth underground where the church huddled and met. And they had these, this network of tunnels that went out, these hallways. And in those hallways were not cool pictures They weren't books. They weren't CDs for sale. They were dead bodies. They were martyred Christians. You walk down those halls, and I wrote a short story on it. I had to do a project for school, and I wrote a short story on it, like a horror story, because I was like 18 and obsessed with it, right? But there's just bodies stacked all the way down these hallways with the ichthus, the fish, inscribed into it. You know the fish that we put on our SUVs because we think we're martyrs? Okay, right? No, these are the... Right? You, you walked into church, what did it smell like? Donuts? They walked into church, it smelled like dead bodies. And there was a lot of, look, why don't we, slow, why don't we, why don't we back off a little bit of this, this new gospel claim, this new covenant, slide back in, and what he's going to do is he's going to charge them not to, is to not fall back, but to move forward. This is a loose analogy. All analogies break down over time. I understand that Israel is God's people. I've taught on it. I believe it. I love it. I've read Revelation. I've taught Revelation. He's not done with Israel. So it's not a perfect parallel by any means. But, but in our day and age, it's so easy to just slip into vague spirituality. You hear this all the time on college campuses. You may hear it in the workplace too. I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. What does that mean? You do yoga? I don't get it. You just... What, what, what exactly is just spiritual? I just, I'm just, I'm spiritual. I know there's a higher power and I'm kind of a jerk. I'm like, and they're like, I just, I tap into the spiritual side. I'm like, which side? What do you mean? There's two sides. There's an evil side and a good side. Which one are you on? I'm just spiritual, man. I do yoga, right? And so it's just like, 
I read a book on Eastern religion. I have incense and candles, right? But there's this vague spirituality that we back off the claims of the gospel because look, the gospel is very open. It's very gracious. There's a lot of room for disagreement. There's a ton of room for grace, but there are some very definitive lines that are drawn in the sand. And if you disagree with me, you disagree with Christ himself. There are some very definitive lines that say, look, we've entered a new covenant. The Bible says it's a better covenant. There are some new claims. Yes, I'm not afraid to say it. God changed the game when he sent Jesus. He changed the game. He completed the old game and he kicked off a new one. Yes, the rules changed. But there was this, there was this kind of desire to slip back into some of the, the comfort. And so he begins challenging them pretty forthright. He says, you're leaving the discussion of elementary principles. These are the ABCs of their faith. He says, you've got some of the foundational stuff. That's great. I've got kids. I've got a six, four, and a 10-month-old. Our six-year-old is writing. He's learning to write. He's learning how to construct words. But what's the point of learning to write words if you never construct a sentence? He says, you've got the building blocks. You've learned how to write. But are you writing a sentence? I've got my 10-month-old girl. We're just trying to get her to talk. She's going to learn how to say one word at a time, but what's the point of learning words if she never puts it together and speaks and communicates? He says, you've got the building blocks. And this is a challenge because some of us here are stuck and you're here, you're going through repetitions, you're going through religion, and Jesus doesn't ask you to be religious. In fact, those people that he fought with the most in the Bible were the ones who were the most religious. He's calling us to move forward in our faith, to become more mature. And he says, you're stuck in these elementary principles. He says, let us go on to perfection. Now the word more properly translated is not perfect. Like he wants them to be perfect? No, he's, the, the word more accurately translates to maturity. Let's move on to maturity. And so that's the call. Whether you've been a Christian your whole life, whether you've just kicked it off, for all of us tonight, it's moving forward in maturity, not staying stuck on the building blocks. It's like laying the foundation for a house, but you never put up walls. Like I've got my foundation. I'm saved by by grace through faith, bro. I'm good. Okay, now do something with it. I'm not a legalist. Do something with it. Let it infect something in your life. Let it affect everything in your life. Look, Whoa, slow down. I'm saved by grace through faith, bro. I'm good. I've got my foundation. This is not enough. That's not the call. And he's going to show it. He's going to prove it. He says, let us go on then to perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. Now, a lot of people take this as, it's, it's, it's amazing what we do in the American Christian church. He's saying, don't just hold to these, and no joke, Christians make entire Bible courses out of these. Like, these are the foundations of faith. He's like, these are the foundations of faith that you need to get past. And we're like, let's focus on those. No, he's actually calling us beyond that. Because here's what's interesting. This isn't even an exclusively Christian list of beliefs. Something like it says baptisms. The word translated again more appropriately, does not mean baptism. And it's not the same word that's used for Christian baptism elsewhere in the New Testament. It simply means ceremonial washings. These guys are coming out of Judaism. He says, look, you're holding to basically common ground. Common ground. It doesn't mean we don't love, serve, interact with, care for people of other faith, but we need to understand that we are not on common ground with people in false faiths. We have something radically more beautiful, something radically more declarative, something radically better, to be honest. We have the greatest Messiah, the greatest mission, the greatest message. We don't stand on common ground a lot of times. We don't stand on common ground. He says, we're moving beyond this foundational stuff. And he lists those because those could be found in a generally Orthodox Jewish community. He says it's not just about holding to these foundations. He's going to continue to press us into more maturity. He says, and this we will do if God permits, and then people just lose their minds. <laughs> they just, on this, I'm telling you, look, at some of you are going to go home and Google Hebrews 6, and you're just going to watch Christians tear each other apart. I'm telling you, like Rob says, we're the only, we've got to be the only military force that shoots at our own people. 
And it starts right there. What does he mean? It means if God permits. Any questions? Good, we're moving on. And so it says this, it says, for if it is impossible, look, and I'm not going to de-emphasize that word because he's going to use it again. He's, he is very emphatic that this is impossible. This is impossible. But I do believe people have taken this wrong. Listen, it says, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. If they fall away, which is different than falling. The Bible talks about people who have fallen from grace, which means they no longer receive grace but falling away from these things to renew them again to repentance. It's impossible to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves, the son of God and put him to an open shame and Christians lose their mind and they don't make it to the end of the chapter which is about hope and encouragement and steadfastness and the future. And they sit right here because they want to be in the present and they want to fight about it. This is what it means. Let this settle it. He says, if you're coming out of Judaism, you're coming from that faith and you return back. He says, you turn from Jesus and you seek repentance and salvation elsewhere. It's impossible to find it. It's impossible to find it. He's not saying that you can't come back to Jesus. That if you fall away, and I'm telling you, early in the Christian church, in modern Christian church, they use this passage to say that if you sin once after baptism, it's evidence that you're not saved. We're screwed. I don't make it past my 6 a.m. workout. Right? My alarm goes off at 5.40. It's like, sin! Right? I'm working on it. Relax, you know. He's saying if you turn from Jesus, if you turn from the salvation that you've now unleashed on your future in Christ, and you turn from that, and they, the Hebrews, if you go back to Judaism, if you go back to the ceremonial washes, if you go back to trying to find repentance and salvation elsewhere, it's impossible to find it elsewhere. And the harshest language is talking about if you go back to some of those Jewish traditions, if you go back to slaughtering goats to cover the sins, he says, you are crucifying him again. And you are putting the cross to open shame. If you go back to moralism, if you go back to therapeutic deism, if you go back to general spirituality, if you go back to a mindset that you have to work your way back to God after you've sinned, he says you, you are basically saying that the cross didn't work. That Jesus didn't do enough. And I, and I, I don't want to bag on any of our Catholic friends or, or family, but the idea that, that, the, that the Eucharist becomes the body, the physical body and blood is unnecessary. One sacrifice for all sin for all time. We need not sacrifice his body again. And Jesus' body is glorified and in heaven. One sacrifice for all sin for all time. He's saying if you go back to some of these ceremonial laws, as, as your way to repent, as your way to get salvation, he says, it's impossible to find it there. It's impossible. And he wants us to, these, especially the Hebrews, all of us to move forward. And for us, it's moralism. It is. How many of us grew up making some pact with God? I did it. I remember the last one I did when I was a kid. I was like, if, you, if I find my wallet, I'll never swear again. I can't find my wallet, right? How many of us have done that? How many of you have done this? How many of you, when things are going bad, you ask God what you've done? Because you believe the cross didn't take care of that sin and God had to dole out a little extra punishment on you. Some of you have been made to believe, wrongly so, perhaps by good-hearted pastors, but some of you have been wrongly been led to believe that God is punishing you for your sin. I'm here to declare today that he already punished Jesus for your sin. It's over. Past, present, and future, God's blood worked in reverse and it worked forward as well. You're not being punished for your sin. Will your sin find you out on earth? Sure. Make a bad choice. There's going to be ramifications. Sure. You're going to reap what you sow. Sure. But don't confuse that with God's punishment. God was satisfied on the cross. God, the father's no longer angry because he poured out all his wrath on Jesus. 
He's not doling out extra punishment on you. And we slip into moralism. We slip back into general spirituality and deism and this idea that we, we work our way back to God. And he's saying, no, stop it. Move forward toward hope to what has set your soul in eternity, what has hooked you forever, has gripped you and won't let go. And so he then gives an, are we good on that? Hebrews 6, we just solved it. Isn't that amazing? We just solved it for all of the world. Okay, pass the video around, tell them, right? It's over, stop the debate. He says, if you turn from Jesus and seek repentance and salvation elsewhere, it's impossible. We got it? Piece of cake, Bible's not that hard. And then he goes into an illustration, verse seven. It says, for the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessing from God. It fulfills its purpose. It's, it's, it's very easy. It was an agrarian culture. Everyone understood this. I've got uncles. My dad grew up on a farm. I've seen it happen. Okay? It's not hard. Rain goes into the ground, produces plants, produce fruit. Yeah? We got that? Okay, second grade, we're done. Okay? And so rain comes down, nourishes the earth, plants grow, produce fruit. The purpose of those plants has been fulfilled. That is the point. Like if you've noticed, there's not much point to being a plant. Anyone knows that? Apart from what? Producing. Whether it's for oxygen, whether it's for fruit, whether it's for cover, right? Anyone knows? Anyone like, has a plant helped you with your job recently or like counseled you on marriage or anything like that? Right? Like your point as a plant is to produce fruit, right? Everyone's nodding your head, but you know the application's coming. I'm not going to nod my head. Forget this. Some plants in California that don't do anything. Don't even have fruit. But he says this. Okay, so we get it. God rains down blessing. We're sparked with new life. And what's supposed to happen? Fruit. How do you know it's an apple tree? It's not rocket science. How do you know it's an orange tree? Oranges. Produces fruit. Produces fruit. But check this out, verse 8. His tough lesson continues. He says, but if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Here's the call on the Christian life. It's progress toward maturity in the things of God as he rains down blessing and we receive life that we bear fruit. Now, here's the trick. Here's the trick. People want a list. Right? I love lists. Huge fan of lists. I'm like, give me a list. Give me some lists of what that looks like. I need to know. Here's my day job. Here's my side stuff. Here's the, how do I do it? How do I do it at the gym? How do I, I need to know how I bear fruit. I'm not going to tell you how to do it. I don't have to. What I'm going to do is I'm going to hook you into the source. What I want to do is encourage you to hook into the source. And this is where the whole sermon's going. Because here's what Jesus promises. First and foremost, Ephesians 2.10 says this. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? To just sit around and wait for him to come back? Come on, how many in the American church believe that? Cross is back there. Revelation hasn't happened yet. Just waiting. He says, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Are you saved by works? No, but when you're saved, what do you want to do? You want to do good works, right? You want to do good works. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. And I know Pastor John did, did a, a whole sermon, look it up, on, on work, right? Amazing. I listened to it at work because I can do that at the computer. Created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then Jesus himself says this, check this out. Somebody's like, how do I bear fruit? Mark, show me what fruit looks like. I'm not going to show you what fruit looks like. It's far too many people for us to go through this analysis. I'm going to take you to the source and let you sort it out with him. And you can ignore it. And when I call us to prayer on it, you can say, forget it. But you can't go through life saying you didn't know how. Jesus himself said this. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me 
and I in him bears much fruit. And he says this, for without me, you can do nothing. When you hook into Jesus more passionately with more purpose, every day gets sweeter. Every day the gospel gets greater. Every day your relationships get tighter. I mean, I, I joked about this with the college students. Like, think about the relationships. Like, like dudes find out a girl loves, like, like, likes him. We freak out. We run like full force. Like, figure it out. We could drain the bank account, take her everywhere. Like, we run hardcore. And then the creator of the universe is like, I love you and want a relationship with you. You're like, I'll figure it out. Right? Like, think of how hard we pursue relationships sometimes day to day. How we want to pursue relationships with family and friends, with love interests, with bosses and coworkers, or maybe you don't want relationship with those guys anyway, right? But, but think of how aggressively a lot of times we pursue relationships. Are you aggressively, are you passionately with purpose? Are you pursuing that relationship? Because it's a cheesy bumper sticker, but it's true. It's not religion, it's a relationship. I don't like bumper stickers, but that one happens to be true. So how, how do I bear fruit, Pastor Mark? How do I do? You abide in Jesus. Now, I won't leave you hanging. I'll give you three ways to do that, right? Because I'm still a fan of lists, right? It's real simple. God's word, prayer, community. You got it? Write it down. <laughs> God's word, right? I love that. People are like, what's God's will for my life? And I'm always like, if only he wrote a book on it. I don't know. I just want to hear from God. I know, me too. It's like if he would just write us a letter or 66. I don't know, right? It, it's not that hard. I don't preach rocket science up here. Can you hear from God when you open his living, breathing word? Better believe it. But we're busy. We don't have time. Myself included. Look, I, most of my studying comes from an anticipation of teaching. I admit it. I'm not, I'm not as diligent. Some of you think I just like nerd out of all day. Like I don't. Right? But every day, a little more. Relying on a little more. Meditating on a little bit more. Getting a little nugget in the morning before I leave. And then all day on the motorcycle. All day at the office. All day at jobs. Focusing on that. You can hear from God. You can abide in Jesus by abiding in his word. Prayer. How's prayer? The Bible says to pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean you don't get to do anything all day. It just means that you're in an ongoing conversation with God about everything, praying in meetings, right? I had my first HR issue yesterday at my company, right? Had to go into the COO, talk about this, you know, start doing that. Like a couple times I felt myself dabbing into prayer here and there, right? Man, like, where am I wrong? Show me, am I wrong on this? Is he wrong? Like, how do we reconcile? Like we're both director level, so it's not subordinate thing. It's like just clash of peers, Dabbing in and out of prayer. He's ironically a bit of kind of a, he's, he's Jewish by, I guess, like upbringing, but kind of hostile toward Christianity. Like lots of like clever remarks. And like, I'm like, God, break my heart for him. Like, you're not done with him. I know that. You know, in and out of your day job, in and out of your family life, in and out of your hobbies, pray without ceasing, abiding in Jesus, focusing on him so that we can bear fruit. Because again, how does fruit play out in your life? I'm not sure exactly, but I'll tell you if you go to Jesus, he'll show you. And then community. You serving in the church? Or are you consuming from the church? Right? Are you serving in the church or are you just consuming in the church? You helping out? Children's ministry needs help. Different areas need help. When we get the announcements, do you shut up? Do you just shut off? You're just done? Wait, there's like music ends and we just have to get to the sermon. Do you show up like right before the sermon because you don't want to hear? If you're abiding in Jesus, the closer you get to him, I'm telling you, he'll impress upon your heart that service. Why? Because he's served the church. Therefore, we serve the church. Call yourself a Christian, a little Christ. You're not serving the church. I don't know what Christ you're following. It's challenging, isn't it? a call toward maturity don't just stay in the foundations say by grace by faith bro good i come to church homie i'm here it's wednesday right could be at home with netflix right now he says let's go forward let's get deeper press in this week press in in prayer press in in the word press in in service to the church abide in him and you'll bear much fruit
But I love this. That's it. You got, you got through the whipping. Happy? It wasn't even that bad, so I'm starting to get a little tired. I'm getting the post-workout droop now. I'm like, <laughs> so I'm like you're normally like running around. <laughs> but now, I love this. And he says, but, right? But, and then he says this. He says, beloved. But, beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that, are, that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. See, this is the best part is that he's challenging them and he's encouraging them. And, and I had this revelation as I prepared this sermon last week, or yeah, last week for Sunday night for the first time. Like so often I realize that I don't have confidence that people actually want to do what God's word declares. And I have failed as a pastor at that. He's challenging them. And then what does he say? I'm, I'm actually confident that you want to. And that's my declaration to you as well. I'm actually confident that you want to pray more. I'm actually confident that you, you believe and trust and rely on God's word. I'm actually confident that you, you do want to be an active participant in the gospel and his church and the things that Jesus is doing in and through his church. But perhaps you just needed a nudge and then you came tonight. I'm confident. I'm no longer like, man, no one wants to do anything. If I just yell at them and throw the Bible at them, they'll get up and do it. No, that's just, that's just moralism. I'm actually confident that those of you that are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, that this sparks something in you, that it resonates. You're like, it makes sense. I get it. I want to. The question is, are you going to go with the call toward maturity? Are you actually going to take steps? I talk in business terms a lot. Are you going to execute on that goal? Are you going to execute on that path, on that progress, that maturity? Or is your faith just stale? Saved in junior high and just been riding ever since. Right? How many of us had that church camp experience? Right? And it's just been what? Autopilot? He's like, no, you should be excited. He's like, I'm confident of the better things concerning you. Verse 10 says, for God is not unjust to forget your works and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister and do minister. Some of you are like, Mark, I have been serving the church. I have been ministering to people. I have been running a small group. I have been discipling. I have been volunteering. I have been helping run the video. I have been doing this. I have been doing that. You just don't see it. And I confess I don't. But here's the exciting thing Jesus does. So for those of you that are in this, a nudge, more, don't stop. But know this. That when Rob and Brett and John and myself, Zach, the staff, your family, your friends, the world, when they don't see it, rest assured, Jesus does. And he knows it's for his name. And by the way, you need to know, I, I did this study a while back. Uh, it was called Soli Deo Gloria. Is that the, the main purpose, the core reason that God does what he does in favor of people, against people, is because he's passionately pursuing his own name, his glory. That's why the Protestant Reformation, when they came up with their five tenets, the five sole, that's why they came up with Soli Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. And he says, you're doing this in my name. And that's what he's most passionate. I'm telling you, like when people say, why does God love you? Are you good? No, he loves me. Why? Because it most glorifies him. Why did God lead the people out of the desert? Because it most glorified him. And he says it over and over for the sake of my name, for the sake of my name, for the sake of my name. He says it all through the Bible. He's always been passionately pursuing his glory first. You need to know that's his priority, but he loves me. He does because it serves his glory. It's how he is most glorified. But you need to know those of you that are active and pressing and pushing, Jesus sees it and he's pleased. I get goosebumps. I start to almost cry every time I say this. I'm telling you right now, Jesus is on a throne and he hears you and he sees you and he's pleased. Don't put him in the past. Don't put him 2,000 years ago. Don't put him in a far off galaxy where he's, he's basically the God of Gnosticism that can't interact with the things that are physical. Jesus is listening right now. He hears you. 
When you're doing acts in his name and works in his name that serve his name, he's glad. He's excited. Keep going. I did this on Sunday night with the people that work at the church. Like, don't stop. Like, I have it easy. I work at a corporate job. As long as I'm making the money come in, everything's kosher. Everything's good. But like the people that work at the church, like, don't stop. Right? Like, they get beat up by who? Us. I've, I've beat on these guys before. So I'm a jerk in the business world. I seriously am. And we don't see what they do. You're standing on a floor that they did. It took them like 4,000 hours, right? I saw the videos, time lapse. They're like, this is 2016. And they like, they did the floor. It took forever. They're the only ones laughing. So you're like, I don't think it was that bad. What does it take to tear up carpet, right? It's awful. We weren't there, were we? I wasn't. I watched it on video. Like, that looks awful. I'll be sure to preach a good sermon next week. I don't know. Jesus sees all that. Like, and he's pleased. And so he starts to get into this encouragement. He says, look, I I know that you, I'm confident that you want to. God would be unjust if he forgot about it. So those of you that that are serving in the church, for those of you that are ministering at work, that are discipling, that are taking late night texts and phone calls, going to lunches with people, ministering to people in your family, even though when they're abrasive, sacrificing yourself, picking up your cross, not saying what you want to say in that moment. You know what I'm talking about. Jesus sees it and he's pleased, even if the world never does. Because it serves him. It reflects his glory to a broken and dying world. And that's what he's after. And he calls us on this mission of maturity to keep progressing forward. Don't just fall back into the foundations. I know some Bible verses and I go to church. So did the Pharisees. They memorized the Bible and went to church every day. We look JV compared to them. Like they killed it. They were all American religiosity. They were undefeated. They were undefeated. And they walked down the street in their robes and they're perfectly clean. They'd be like, look at this 14-year-old cracking rocks. Must suck to be poor. And there's Jesus. There's God. What is he doing? Building a porch. He's serving someone. He's fixing their door. He's putting a roof on, patching a wall. Not legalist. They don't, you know, it works. It's, Jesus came, what did he do for 18 years before he started preaching? It's worked. He loved people, he cared for people, he redeemed the times. And so he says, and we desire, verse 11 says, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence and the full assurance of hope until the end. He says, press on. For every example that that was conjured up, for every person that you thought of that you're ministering to now and for the the ministry or the service that you provide the church now or for, for being on staff and for the things that you do in the service of his name, he doesn't say, you're good, like you're done. He says, keep going. Like ramp up. Some of you, maybe later in life, you need to hear this. You don't get to like slow down and do less, though the world would tell you otherwise. You've earned it. Stop, relax. Amp up. You're like, but I don't have a job. More time to meet with people. Holy smokes, right? Like we're all ramping up. We're all headed somewhere, not not to be saved, but because we're saved. Like we should be excited about this. He's confident that we want to, and he's calling us to actually execute on that, to grow in maturity in our prayer, in our studies, in our community, both in the church and out in the world. He says, be diligent for the full assurance of the hope until the end that you do not become sluggish. I love it. Don't be lazy. We've abused grace in the church. We think it's just because it's about love and grace that equals laziness. It's not. Don't be lazy in your job. Don't be lazy in your ministry. Don't be lazy in your families. Dads, don't be lazy in raising your kids. Moms, don't be lazy in stewarding. Be passionate. Be active. Be be on the offense. The gospel is offensive. It says, don't be sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And I love it. It says inherit and not earn. You're going to get it. We don't deserve it. We're going to inherit all things. Jesus promises it. We're going to inherit a new body, a glorified body. Thank goodness. 
right? I tell us all the time, you older folks, I envy you. You're closer to perfection than me. I mean, I drive a motorcycle. I could change that in an instant. Morbid joke. Don't tell my wife, right? You're clo- your, your body is closer to being perfected than mine. You should be excited about that. Like, I know it's, I know it's terrible. I got a lower back injury from military. I, I'm reminded his body's broken. But we're going to get glorified bodies. Heaven's going to come to earth. We're going to have roles in heaven. We're going to praise Jesus all the time. By the way, do you know heaven's a cube? Anyone ever told you that? You read Revelation, it's about as wide as the East Coast. It's as high as the East Coast. It's as deep as the East Coast. But don't worry, stairs don't hurt in heaven, okay? Like you don't get out of breath walking up all the stairs. And I think they have escalators. I'm still checking on that. But like, I'm telling you, this is real. This is going to happen. Because you're going to inherit all things. Work now. Don't stop. Be diligent. Press in. Press in in prayer. Press in your word. Press in in your ministry. Press in in your service. Knowing that all things will be inherited to you. All things will be given. Though we didn't earn it, they'll be given. It's amazing. It's like your grandpa you never met and you get an inheritance. You didn't really walk through life with them. You get an inheritance. I didn't do anything. I know. It's not about that. It's about what's already been done. The work that was already performed. And the reward from that work that's already been performed gets put on you. Who does that sound like? That's what inheritance is. The work that's already been performed, the reward from that gets poured on you. That's what charges us. That's why we move forward, right? Like I can't stand the church that just, just only activates in the present. Like we just live here. Like we're not headed toward something. It's just toward maturity, toward the end. That's our hope as we'll inherit the promises. Now, he goes into... The Abra- what's known as the Abrahamic covenant. And he says, for when God made a promise to Abraham and the promise was of land, descendants, blessing, and redemption. He says, when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself saying, surely blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Church, be patient. Be patient. We hate it, right? Because I joke about this too. It's like as soon as you get saved, you want revelation to happen, right? No one wants it before they're saved. You get saved, you're, all right, finish this nonsense, Jesus. Let's go. Where's that sword thing you were talking about in Revelation? Where's that horse, right? And as soon as you're saved, you're like, all right, forget this world. Done. End it. Be patient. God was patient with you. He's being patient with others. I'm glad he gave me time. I'm glad he came to time. Some of you that came to Christ later in life, aren't you glad that God gave you time? That he didn't end this thing back in 68 when he should have? <laughs> be patient. Why he's being patient. This is a blip in eternity. It's a blip. It says be patient, but run hard while you're here. I was just counseling two different people on, on professional stuff, pastoral and professional stuff. I switched those hats quite a bit. And they're talking about long-term goals. And they're like, is it a sprint or is it a marathon? Which one is it, Mark? Like you're in business, sprint or marathon? I was like, I sprint my marathon. Like every day I'm running like super hard. I'm super excited. I'm super pumped. I know it's exhausting sometimes to even watch it up here, but like I'm super excited. I'm sprinting all the time, but I know that it's gonna take a while. Same thing in our faith, like be diligent now, but know that it also includes patience. Why? Because that patience that was bestowed upon you is now being bestowed upon others. And God has a call for your life in the process. And so he says, look, he says, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater and an oath of confirmation is for them in the end of all dispute. Thus God determining to show them more abundantly more abundantly to the heirs of the promise of the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable, that means unchanging things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. He's talking about promise and he's talking about hope. Here's, here's what most of us have done. Even if we're Bible-believing Christians, we open this up and we say, we get the gospel. I, I pray we understand the grand arc of scripture, the main story, the meta-narrative. But for the most part, let's be honest, a lot of us see this as a book of rules. And I'll admit to you, hundreds of them. Hundreds of rules. 
Old Testament alone, like 600 something laws, rules. And it's not that they all just go away. It's that Jesus came and actually elevated the standard. He says, you, you, you heard it, don't murder. I say, if you think bad about someone, if you, if you have a, a bad, angry thought in your mind, you're murdering them. People are like, that's not easier. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say to you, if you have lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. Suddenly every man in the room is an adulterer. It's not easier. Most of us look at the Bible as a book of rules. And I'll, I'll let's, there's hundreds of rules, but we often miss that there are thousands of promises. We miss that there are thousands and thousands and thousands of promises. This book is far more about promise and hope than it is about rules. And I don't have all the promises because that would take about 86 days to go through it. But what I do have is a nice chunky list because I love lists. I bagged on them earlier, but then I'm going to produce a couple for you. I have a, a nice chunky list of categories of promises. So knowing that each one of these could have however many underneath it, I just tried to pull out some general categories to encourage you in the things that even from a general standpoint are promised to you. This is why we press in. This is why we are diligent. This is why we pray. This is why we study his word. This is why we serve the church because of the promises ahead of time that have been bestowed upon us the promise of eternal life. Like I should just end the sermon there. Like what else did you want here? A bigger paycheck. How about eternity, right? Eternal life and all the promises that come with that. Eternal life. Your last breath on earth will be followed by your first breath in heaven. Guaranteed if you're in Christ. Not of anything you've done, but because of what he's done. The promise of eternal life, that should excite you that this is temporary. Like, how's the election going? Just pumped on that or what? Like, excited? Right? Our foundations are getting shook. We do this every four, every eight years, don't we? We shake ourselves up. Everything's falling. Everything is going down. And yet, all of this will be but a blip. When we realize and when we fulfill that promise of eternal life forever, you guys. Have you thought about that? Eternity. So God created space and time. He was existent before time began. He'll be existent after time ends. And then there's just eternity with him. No aches, no pains, no hunger after the wedding feast. Just running around our cube, right? (laughs) Praising Jesus the whole time. No son, eternal life. It's going to be amazing. The promise of forgiveness. Amen. Again, just, I'm done that everything you've thought, said, and done contrary to the will of God has been quenched. It's been cured. It's been, the, the wrath was poured out upon it. Even today, as we, we drug our sin in here today, that refreshing lift that Jesus took it to the grave, the promise of forgiveness, the promise of the Holy Spirit, who's our, humf- our helper and our comforter, the promise to meet our needs in the riches of Christ, the promise of emotional and physical and spiritual healing, the promise of wisdom and guidance, the promise of relating, promises relating to children and family and marriage and singleness and faithfulness, the promise of peace, the promise of overcoming temptation, the promise of protection, the promise of overcoming fear and death, the promise of the end of suffering, promise of resurrection that we get a body as Jesus has a body thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of promises and the Bible says they're unchanging nothing that happens on this earth will undo a single one of them because God sits sovereign over all of it are you questioning his promises Are you hooked into foundations in the world that are getting shook right now so your boat's uneasy? He says we have the answer for that. In the promises and the hope set before us, he says determining to show more abundantly these promises to us. And check out verse 19. This hope we have as an anchor 
as an anchor of our soul. Before we finish, my question is, where have you laid anchor? We've all done it. Don't give me the, in Jesus, pastor, only Jesus. I, I, can't, I can't say that. I'll tell you this. I've, I've been, confessed it on Sunday night, the last couple months, I have been furious, furiously, furiously pursuing business. It's my full-time job. I'm called to it 100%. I'm passionate about it. I've taken a good thing, but I've made it a God thing. And I've set my hook in business. I've set my anchor in business. I've set my anchor in my abilities, in my profession, in what I do for a living. And so if that ever begins to shake, my whole body shakes. My whole foundation begins to shake because I've laid anchor in that. It's not that I'm not called to it. It doesn't mean I have to abandon it by any means. But I have to, I have to unhook the foundation of my soul, the anchor of my soul from anything in this world because it won't last. I've got another list. Where do you find peace? Where do you find purpose? Where do you find your identity? This week, just think of this week. Don't go big. Go this week. Where have you laid anchor for your soul? Is it your career? Like me? If this shakes, then I shake. Look, I get it. I'm not downplaying it. I know what it's like to walk out on a job. I know what it's like to leave a job with a California mortgage and kids and a wife and have no idea how I'm going to make it. I know that. It's not downplaying that. But I'll tell you, I, 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 it's, it's crazy. I felt more at peace, my wife will confirm, during those eight weeks, even though I was diligent to keep finding, trying to find this new, you know, new work, I felt a ton of peace when I was in that phase. More so than I do now when I have an amazing job. Why? Because I laid anchor in that. And when it got stripped from me, I had to pull anchor. And I had to focus back on, on Jesus and his promises and his care, still being diligent. But it's amazing when these things go away. God forbid. But it's amazing when these things go away that you realize when you've unhooked your anchor, that you've rehooked into Christ, the peace that comes with it. Is it your career? Is it your education? For some of the younger folks? Is it your family? Is that what's, what anchors your soul? Is it relationships? whether friendships, whether family, whether spouse, whether potential romance, boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance? Have you set the anchor to your soul in a relationship? Is it sex? Is it intimacy? Is it family? Did I have that twice? Yep. Is it money? Is your soul dependent? Is it hooked into paycheck? Is it popularity? I threw this one in. It may sound weird. I did it for a reason. Is it alcohol? You find your purpose, your identity, your peace. Is it what you run to? Is it what you rely on? Here's the amazing thing. That whole list, there's not a single thing in that list that's inherently sinful. I'm not talking about laying anchor in things that are sin. I'm talking about laying anchor even in things that are good. When we take good things and make them God things, but when they're in the world, they're going to be shaken by the world. And we're called to unhook from the world, not remove ourselves from the world by any means, but to set the anchor of our soul into heaven, into Christ himself to abide in him, to press into him through prayer and through reading of his word, through community, is to hook into him. Because though the world will shake, we're tethered to heaven. The world's going to shake. It's shaking right now. Unfortunately, one of his promises is not a better option for president. But, so we're, we're hooked in to heaven and the world is shaking. And the stability that Christians should be displaying is the stability of the faithfulness of God because we're tethered right to Christ. We're not shaken by the shaking of this world. We mourn for this world. We're broken for this world. We want to work in this world. We want to redeem the time we've been given in this world, but we don't set anchor. We don't lay anchor of our soul in this world. Does that make sense? The whole call, the whole thing is to press into Jesus. I don't know if you know that. It's to press into Jesus. It says, this hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Sure and steadfast. Don't you want that? 
Isn't that what we want? We want sure and steadfast income. We want sure and steadfast family. We want sure and steadfast relationships. We want sure and steadfast careers. We want sure and steadfast. But have you noticed that nothing stays sure and steadfast in this world? And so he says, we must have as an anchor of our soul both a sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest, which is a big theme of this book, forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The forerunner, the word in the Greek is prodromos. It has two general uses. One is for seafaring folk, and the other one is for the military. Jesus epitomizes, Jesus fulfills, Jesus perfects both. For the seafaring people, it was that your ship could only come so close to land and then someone would hop off into a little boat, a forerunner, and would run aground and lay anchor. And no matter where that boat got pushed, it was tethered to a foundation. Storms came, seas came, wind came, but it was tethered and Jesus goes ahead of us And he sets a foundation that can't be unhooked. You hook into the one that is hooked into your soul. You'll begin to see and feel and experience that sure and steadfast peace that he promises to give you. It's about hooking in to Jesus. Not in a cliche way, but in a real, 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 real way. If you haven't been doing it, tonight's the night to do it. If you've been falling back into the foundational stuff and you've been retreating from the very clear lines of the gospel, this new covenant, this new promise, tonight's the night to reset your anchors, to unhook from the world, though we're still diligent in the world, to unhook the anchors of our soul and put them into Christ. He says the forerunner as a man who would run a boat aground. And the other one actually, I've always heard it in that, And then I went through a study and I actually found out that this is also used by the military. It's basically a reconnaissance man. The military would use a recon guy. And what what reconnaissance did, and when I was overseas, when I was in Iraq, I wasn't a part of a recon team, but I was part of a unit that operated very much like recon. We only ran with Rangers. We only ran with Navy SEALs. We did a lot of ISR. It was ISR, Intel Surveillance and Reconnaissance. My job was to be on the other side of, of enemy lines, covered and concealed, coordinating large artillery airstrikes um, to clear the battlefield. And what a reconnaissance man done is he goes ahead of all the troops and he secures victory ahead of time. He gives them the info they need to bring the resources they need. And, and in my role, what I was, I was literally in charge of, of coordinating the, the destruction of the battlefield before the infantry arrived so that, it was, that they could simply walk onto the battlefield and the victory was already assured. And what Jesus did when he went to the cross, did you notice that he went into the grave as your sin? He went into hell and he dropped it off. Jesus went into hell. He went into enemy lines. And by the way, Satan's not stoked on hell. It's not like his pad. It's not like a bachelor pad where the demons party. He's, he's tortured in hell. Revelation tells us that Jesus holds the keys to hell. So it's not like Jesus was in foreign territory. He went behind enemy lines. After coming off the cross where God had poured out, the Bible says that he made him who knew no sin to become sin. He made Jesus on the cross sin. Jesus poured, God the Father poured out his wrath on Jesus. Why? Because in that moment, he physically became your sin. Jesus went into the grave. He went down into the depths of hell and he dropped sin off. And he left it there. And the sin that keeps recurring in your life, you need to understand the victory's already been had. Let it go. Let it go. A lot of times we think we have to fight sin. Sometimes you just have to let it go. He went in and he dropped it off. He's assured victory. It's over. It's done. Jesus said, it's finished. 
So we move forward in maturity and in confidence and in diligence. Why? Because the war has already been won. Our forerunner has gone ahead of us and he has assured victory. For those who are in Christ, we simply enter the promised land. And so again, as I say, as we close, if you haven't taken seriously the concept of abiding in Jesus, abiding in Jesus, my prayer this week, right now, tomorrow morning, is that in a new and radical way, you're no longer satisfied sitting where you are, remaining stagnant in your faith, in your prayer, in your studies, in your service to the church, in your community, in your ministering to people, in your workplace. You're no longer just waiting for everything to be done. You're actively seeking to glorify his name today because victory has been assured. Amen.